This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show! Okay, I gotta warn you. I got thunderstorms rolling in too. Okay. Well, if you suddenly disappear, then we'll know what happened. Exactly. Ooh, wait a second. There may be something. Ooh, yeah, FOC. I think I may have found one thing. Okay. Well, it's a Punisher, the Battle Lines variant. I'm not too much into those, but you know, <laughs> it's Punisher and it's a nice Punisher cover. So. Okay, I'll save it because we're already recording. There you go. <laughs> so, best of the rest, we may or may not complete this based on the thunderstorms in Dennis's area. Well, I do believe I have better uh, internet than middle of Missouri, a.k.a. Ronnie internet. Well, who doesn't have better internet than Ronnie? Well, this is true. Well, today I kind of wanted to talk about just cover a couple of things that we've been each been reading. We haven't talked about that in a while. Yeah, so you got to put some homework on me, and I've been running around all day, so I'm hoping I got my homework done. What, homework, what kind of homework is that? What have you been reading lately? That can't be a, a research project. I, mean, I don't know. I've been reading comics. I've been reading a lot of comics. Well, okay. You know, you know what would be the interesting question? So do you have your comics around you right now? I have some, yes. So what if we sat here and did for a quick 10-minute se- session or a 15-minute a, a session, what is the comic sitting on top of your various piles right now? If you didn't move anything, what can you look at and what can you see? Okay. Okay, right now. On my desk, on the very top of that pile, is a little mini-comic called Magical Beatdown, Volume 1. Yeah. I look over towards my reading chair, and on the top of that pile is the hardcover of Dark Days, mm-hmm. which is part of the Dark Knight's Metal. There was a preface to Dark Knight's Metal. Yep. Which is not indie. <clears throat> On a pile next to that is something I haven't read yet, but I'm going to pick up. It's Atomic Empire. It's the book by... That sounds familiar. Smol- uh, we talked about it, I think, on a previews. It's by Cherry Smolderin, who is the French creator who wrote Ghost Money. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We both like that. Now, underneath a couple of those books is one of the volumes of Infinity 8, which I'm trying to catch up on. I've gotten behind on. Mm-mm-mm-mm. That's another magnetic collection. But the thing that's sitting over there by itself that I've been doing is Volume 1 of The Strangers in Paradise Omnibus. Oh, have you been putting off that? I've not been putting off. I'm going to reread it. Oh, okay. I'm getting ready. I'm trying to prepare for five years, his new series, which comes out in May. And it's going to be including characters from everything he's written previously, the Terryverse, as people were calling it. Mm -hmm. So I've set my goal for the next month to reread All of Strangers in Paradise, Rachel Rising, Echo, which I've not read before previously. Oh, you haven't read Echo? I have not read Echo. And then, oh, yeah, I want to reread Motor Girl. And I've just finished, 20, of course, Strangers in Paradise 25 is the latest. But yeah, that is several thousand pages of Terry Moore stuff to read in a month, go through in a month. So that may be where I do most of my reading. <laughs> okay, then. Yeah, I'm not going to include my bookshelf because my bookshelf is right beside me. So that's where a lot of my trade paperbacks and my hardcovers. And right now, you know what's catching my eye? Oh, those uh, hardcovers of Jazz Maynard. Mm. Oh, yes. With rounded corners. Everybody should do rounded corners. Yes. They are a beautiful thing. So if I'm going to just start start talking strictly comics, and I'm sitting here, and I'm not going to stand up either, because that just does me a lot of other books. So if I'm looking right now, so I've had a few recent acquisitions. So 
I actually ended up with a copy of, and I'll have to flip it over. The night. Oh no, it's, this is the front. The 1985 San Diego Comic Con booklet or something. I don't know what you call it, but it's got artist sketches in it, a few articles, um, kind of some stuff that's going on at the show then and everything. But I think I know there's some comics where some characters' first appearance, most notably Hellboy, is in like some of the comics given at San Diego Comic Con. And I mean, this is from 1985, so on the front of it's DC. So I've got San Diego hmm. Comic Con and a bunch of the DC characters climbing up on it. I see Dark Side there. I see Pariah from Crisis on Infinite Earth. So I don't know if this is pre-crisis or post-crisis. This may be post-crisis. But it's also neat is like since this is 1985, like the inside cover's got an ad for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So this has got to be like when early when that started. Um, but yeah, it gives yeah it gives a convention center, and I'm assuming it's much bigger uh, now than it was here in 1985 because there's only like two floors. It looks like it's smaller than C2 E2. Wow. Looking at this looking at this map. Nice. But uh, so I'm trying to think real quick. I'm just gonna look. Uh, but there's all you know. It's kind of interesting. Some of the stuff in here and the sketches. I was trying to go through it and see if there's any. Oh, maybe this is the first time a first appearance of a character's in here or something. Yada yada yada. So, uh, it kind of came in an eBay auction. I think I won or some other auction that I won. But it's got oh, it's got a sketch for like uh, Dragon's Lair. Remember that arcade game? Yeah. Um. There's an ad for Robotech, which was coming on TV at the time. Oh, you know, and I know why DC and all that's on it, because it was the 50th anniversary of DC. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So that's why they were doing it. So that's why there's this big whole DC um, thing on it. So, all right. So that's why they're profiling all that. So anyway, so there's that. Uh, Another stack I got here has Terry Moore's. Hot Girls Cold Feet. And I picked that up a couple of weeks ago because I think I sent it in our Discord chat about what's so neat about that. But that was let, uh, put out in 2011, and it actually has a sketch of Motor Girl in it. Oh, that was one of his preliminary sketches, um, I think. Yeah, it had to have been, but she's got a tattoo of Mike on her on her arm. So, you know, that's a question I, I often wonder, and I guess we're going to go on a tangent here. So... So somebody, so like, you know, Terry Moore, we'll just pick on Terry Moore. So Motor Girl came out like 2017, right? right? And it was 10 issues, and it was a story he had to get out, right? He's talking about it. Um, But he was already drawing her in 2011. You know, I usually think of, you know, a writer or whatever gets an idea, and then, you know, it comes out in like a year or two, but apparently that's not the case. Well, gosh. I don't have my motor girl to hand, but I believe he said in the introduction to that was that this is a story that had been wanting to be written for years, but that other things came up in front of it, like Echo. And so so apparently, I mean, if I'm reading out what he's correctly, he had the idea for motor girl a long time ago. I mean, a decade or more has been, was boiling around in his mind before he actually sat down to, to create it. Yeah, but how can you keep a story? I, you know, I guess that's how something mellows and you fill in the fill in the the points or everything. And I guess that's why when you see somebody new coming to the business, they have a story. They immediately get it down to paper, and you know, then they try to get it out there. And you know, you get to critique and you have to rewrite it or something. Versus something that's been churning in your head for ten, fifteen uh-huh. years. You've kind of had how many? You kind of had how many rewrites in your head? I'm not telling. So, but anyway, so there's that. Uh, next to it is a pile, and on the top of that is actually a Wonder Woman 105 from I think the early 2000s, and I acquired that because it's the first appearance of the character that later becomes the new Wonder Girl. So that's in Young Justice and everything. So um, let's see. Here's another stack. On the top of it is Lollipop Kids number four. That's a two B red. That's my. T- uh, haven't read quite pile some aftershock stuff there and some other stuff. Um, so actually I'm missing a couple of, uh, some issues of some books, uh, ahead of these and I'm saving these up until I get the, those early issues. So the story actually makes sense. Right. 
All right, next to it is actually something I picked up at C2E2. I think we talked about it, but it's my hologram cover to hard case number one from the Ultraverse. Ah. Nice. And, all right, next to, okay, then another pile next to that is uh, Matt Kent's mind management uh, Kickstarter from however many moons ago where it had the uh, the record with it. I still got that there sealed. I haven't read that or listened to it yet. <laughs> nice. Um, then next to that is a box, and on top of that is the Unity 2000 preview book from when Acclaim and Jim Shooter were trying to reboot Valiant before it finally went into the toilet and sat still until uh, Dinesh uh, bought them however many years later. Right. So this is actually the Ashcan. It's the preview uh. book. So, All right. Uh, next pile is Wolverine number one from volume two. So, or it might have been volume three. I can't remember, but not the original volume of Wolverine. I got those set aside because I got to put those into long-term storage. Next is a pile where on the top of that is Dark Red number one from the C2E2 special, or exclusive. I haven't got that bagged and boarded yet and filed away. Uh, so, there you go. Uh, and then next to that is another C2E2. So it looks like a lot of my stuff is leftover stuff for <laughs> C2E2. Is uh, the Catwoman or Batman, no, Catwoman 9, uh, the foil cover. The infamous one where I think came out last month where she the fo- the, the it's actually upside down because uh, yes. it's got her right side up it's got her right side up in front of a picture of Batman that's upside down so it's like oh yes yep okay and then I only got three more piles <laughs> and I, I'll tell you, these piles are about like thirty or forty books stacked high so they're not like I got a it's not like I got a pile of one or two books right I've 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 got and I actually bought some more books tonight so too that I'm going to be coming in later this week. I can talk about those later. Uh actually I have Dark Horse Comics Predator. It's the actual pr- first Predator in comics from I think 1984 or sometime in the mid 80s for Dark Horse. So it's a it's a pretty recognizable cover if you've seen it before and you realize what it is. So yeah, I got the first Predator in comics there that I acquired. Acquired last weekend, I think. And as with any acquisitions I make, uh, I have the stack of stuff I'm keeping, and I have the stack of stuff I'm not. And beside it is the stack of stuff I'm not, which is uh, News Time, The Life and Death of the Man of Steel. So back when the death of Superman, they actually came out with a magazine that I think was supposed to be mimicking Newsweek about about that. So, that, you know, how they did back in the day. Uh, the whole... Uh, kitten caboodle there, and then beside that, I got another stack of other stuff from that Predator uh, lot that I'm not keeping. Is issue zero of four Predator Race War. So uh, there were some books I was wanting. Uh, they had a bunch of Predator and Aliens uh, books mixed in with it. It was a big lot. Um, I wanted the Predator first appearance, and then there's a Aliens, the second series one through four first printing. Which interesting note. So this came out so the two the first two volumes of that Dark Horse did of Aliens there's a 1 2 4 mini series and another 1 2 4 mini series Aliens and Aliens volume 2 uh they came out before Aliens 3 so the main characters in it were Hicks and Newt from Aliens but because they didn't know at the start of Aliens 3 they would be dead so the first printing's actually those characters, but subsequent printings they had to change their names because in the Aliens 3 they were dead, so to keep it with continuity. So I got some first printings of that that I'm keeping, but um and there was something else I was wanting from that. But those were yeah, those aren't the books I was actually wanting. I forget what was, Oh yeah, there was a 1 through 14 of Akira. That's the reason I bought that set. There's actually news that Akira is going to be made into a movie or something. So unknowingly those books have gone up and I was just wanting to kind of do my Akira set. Uh, but I ended up with a bunch of Predator and Aliens comics. And I asked anybody if they wanted them, and nobody said anything except um, uh, Paul. So right. I guess I'm going to mail them off to Paul. <laughs> yeah, Paul will take just about anything anybody offers. Yeah, but these are like 80s Dark Horse, though, which I have a soft spot in my heart for 80s Dark Horse. That's when... Dark Horse is really your independent, um, 
it wasn't quite self-published, but it was kind of like the next step up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't know. I kind of considered Dark Horse at that time to be along the lines of like Caliber Press and some of the others. But that's right. But, you know, that's when they started getting their licensing agreements and everything. And I don't know. I got a soft spot for mid '80s uh, Dark Horse. So, but I don't have room for all of those. So I got the books out of it. I want. So I'm going to. You know, I think I. I think I paid 20 bucks for all that. Nice. Very nice. So I got the books. And I also got two runs of Spawn 1 through 10. <laughs> so I got two runs of Spawn 1 through 10, all of that for like 20 bucks. So I got my money Yes, out you did. You've been, gosh, that sounds exhausting. Uh, well, yeah, I know. See, that's the problem. I find all these, I keep wanting to like, I need to cut back. But then I find these deals and it's like, oh, God, that's like 50 or 60 comics. Oh, but it's got like. One comic that's worth way more than that, and I want that one comic. But now I have to get those other thirty comics. Crap! What am I going to do with them? Yes. Well, the the only reason so. I don't have more piles in front of me is that I keep my, I'm downstairs and all my stuff is upstairs. Uh, oh yes, yes, yes. I have mine up on pallets so they avoid any. Uh, well, if there's a six inch flood in my basement, then it's going to be a sad <clears throat> day in my household. For the lower comics, but that's where all my X-Men are because uh, my comic collecting has me everything in alphabetical order, and unfortunately X is nearly end, and so they're on the bottom. But I live on a bluff. I'm in the city with city water, and I got drains and everything in the house and all that. So We should be okay. We should be, unless it's like a cataclysmic, uh, you know, once in a thousand year kind of flood. Well, if you have that, you're going to have a lot more problems than just your comic books, I would think. True. Well, it's interesting that you just mentioned Caliber off the top of your head because yesterday my wife and I went to the Dallas Comic Show, one of the local small cons here. Oh, yeah. Is yeah, it a small, small con? I mean, one one room in the, in the Civic Center. I mean, it's, it's bigger than the, you know, the, what they call the, used to call the Holiday Inn cons, the little hotel cons, but it's nothing like approaching C2E2, or probably even Planet Comic Con, but it's mm-hmm. it's a nice show. Cullen Bunn was there, and I talked with him for a few minutes. Oh, did you? How is he? Because we keep going to these things, and Ronnie's like, yeah, I know Cullen, and then something happens, and we never He's get to meet him. He's super nice, and I was shocked that he continued to be nice to me, even after he found out that I was Ronnie's friend. But oh, actually, well, yeah. I, Ronnie and I had talked. I was going to go up to Cullen, Cullen and say, yeah, I've got a mutual friend that recommended that I come here today and offer you a big slice of Chicago-style pizza. Because you remember he mm-hmm. got sick in, at C2E2, couldn't make it to the show on Saturday, and they'd eaten at Giordano's the night before. And he believes he got food yeah. poisoning. And he just kind of looked at me for a second and goes, what friend? <laughs> I said, Ronnie Barron. And he had this kind of expression like, yeah, that's that's the son of a bitch would say that. But then, then we <laughs> joked about it, and he's, you know. So we tell Rarity to kiss my ass. So I immediately got onto Discord and forwarded that message on to him. So. Mm-hmm. But it was a nice little show. I immediately went, didn't have anything else in mind. I just went to every vendor and asked, do you have any Love and Rockets magazines from Volume 1? Oh, because you got to find that one, right? Two now, actually. Because oh. I finally got the package from Calabunga because they had... Uh, they had protected it so well they forgot where they put it or something. So I didn't get it till like Thursday. Mm-hmm. And I went through and I'm, I thought there might be one other missing, but I couldn't remember. But yeah, issue number 23 is not there. So I've got number, issue number six and issue okay. number 23. So I go around and I'm asking all the vendors and I'm getting mostly, uh, no, we don't. Uh, no, don't ever see any Love and Rockets. Like, did, no, did, no. Did, anybody, did anybody go, what's Love and Rockets? No, they all knew what it was. <laughs> One guy said, well, I may have it in my private collection, but I'm not ready to sell it. And I'm like, I understand. So we went to a, one of the Q&A panels that they had. Mm-hmm. And it was, they had some creators that were celebrating anniversaries. And one of the guys there was James O'Barr. That sounds familiar. He developed the comic book, The Crow. Yep. Which I have never read. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I've read the original. I think I've read some subsequent series, but not that one. He was a damned interesting guy, and man, he's he was pretty young when he put that out. Wasn't yeah, 
But he lived in Detroit, and he's been shot a couple of times. He's been stabbed a couple of times. I want once, and he's just—he's—he's he's a living comic book himself, as far as you know, things that have happened in his life. But they, uh, the original publisher for that was Caliber. I think it was later picked up by Image, and then IDW later iterations, and then of course there was a film made in 1994. Yep, and that's what it's more famous for. What happened there? I think Brandon Lee was. Uh, the t- uh, was the crow, and then he got killed by a blank. Yes. While filming, so tragic, tragic, tragic. Now I think there was some subsequent movie. I mean, they finished it somehow. I think, uh, and I think they've attempted to do a few more. And I don't know if it's been in development, purgatory, or or what it is. I don't know, but that's definitely on my list to read now because I've not read the crow. And I picked up a title, and I had missed this. I thought I'd seen all of the things that Cullen Bunn had written, but I somehow went... Ghost Fleet? No, <laughs> not Ghost Fleet. No, that's a... That's a no, isn't that the Frank Miller that wrote Ghost Fleet? I can't, can't remember. Or Jason, Jason Aaron. Aaron, that's what. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, The Sixth Gun. Oh, Yeah. That's what is one of his first big things, I thought. Yeah, that's from Oni Press. Let, yeah, from Oni Press, and that's what got him recognized by Marvel, which led his, you know, work that he did for them. But I somehow just no, yeah, I just went past it. So I bought the first volume of that. And had, did and he, he sign it? it? Along with the, uh, he signed and had me get, and the artist was there too. He got signed. The, uh, you know, one of the. One of these days, I want to go to an artist and buy a buy a book at their booth, and then they then they take it and they sign it and they hand it to me. I'm gonna go. Well, why'd you write on my book? <laughs> <laughs> Can I get another one without any writing on it? Yeah, that would go over. <laughs> <laughs> that would be about as popular as a turd in the punch bowl, I would think. But, uh, anyway, but he had me sign it. He also signed the. Uh, little preview issue coming out of the Punk Mambo. Oh, you got a preview yeah. issue of that? Sweet. Is it gold? No, gosh, no. Just... Yeah. It was nice, you know, we were only there for a few hours, and then, of course, my wife wanted to see the costume contest, which... Ooh, any good costumes? Yeah, they had some good ones. The guy who won the adult vision had was the Predator, and he, he went to some effort for that, and yeah, I've. I mean, Predator, I think, is one of those where you can really go all out and make it look good. Yep. Find any uh, Batman four? No, I didn't. didn't. Did you look? Did you look? A little bit, but not too much. I was. Yeah, just wasn't in the mood for. I spent hours long box diving yesterday. Oh, okay. Well, you know, you were on that loving rockets quest. Well, see, the thing of it is, I go to two small cons here in the Dallas area. One of them is called the North Texas Comic mm-hmm. Book Show, and the other is the Dallas Comic Book Show. And they do two shows a year each, usually one in the winter, early spring, and then summer or fall. And most of the damn, most of the vendors that are there, are the, it's the same couple dozen vendors that show up every time. So I kind of already know what they've got and what they don't have. So I can go and generally, if I am looking for something, I can get to it real quickly. Just Go to specific boxes, I know, or, or just by having dealt with them before, I know what they're probably not going to get. Like this guy's, this guy's never going to get a Batman 457, probably. So, yeah, I just wasn't, I wasn't into doing a whole lot of spelunking yesterday. Uh, sometimes you're in the mood for it, and sometimes yeah. you aren't. I'm at a point to go out and ask for the Love and Rockets, even though I knew that was going to be extremely rare that they would have any of those. Uh, did you ask for any Love and Rockets original art? No, I didn't. Was there any original art there? There was no original. Well, there was, but contemporary creators. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, not original. Not O-G-O-A. No. There were, you know, a few people. So. Okay. Well, it sounds like fun. It seems like I got a couple of little local shows that pop up about every week or every other week around here, and I haven't gotten motivated to go to them. I go to these just because they're close. They're not too terribly expensive. It's like usually $20 for a day pass or 25 or 30 for the week, week pass, weekend pass. Well, the ones near me are like 
like uh, VFW halls. You know, it's five dollars to get in. At the Holiday Inn ballroom, you know, it's five, ten dollars. Yeah, but sometimes they're the best. I, yeah, I agree. I don't see any that many around here in the Dallas. It's actually. I guess what I got to try to do is see. I I end up going first thing in the morning and it's crowded. I ought to go towards the end of the day and maybe it's not as crowded, and maybe people are wanting to deal on some wall books or something. Right. I don't know. I don't know. But usually that's like two or three o'clock in the afternoon on like a Sunday. See, all my shows are I end up being on Sundays. Right. Instead of Saturdays, and there's something about Sundays where it's kind of like I just. That's kind of like today. I just, I don't want to go do errands and I don't want to do stuff. Right. That's my kind of like fun day. You know, I kind of just, I don't know, just kind of breathe. Yeah. Day. Once you get ready for the week, the work week coming up. So. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. yeah. So. What I do need to do, I and mean, we've talked about this before, I need to start making more of an effort to try to find some estate sales. Locally. Yeah, that's another problem I've gotten because I've got some kind of app, estatesales.com, and I get like every day or every other day I get, uh, here's our estate sales near you. And so I've got a few I know to check, you know, some of them have to do weekly and I know to check out. And sometimes they have comics and sometimes they don't. But, I mean, that's where I've been finding a lot of my like vintage pinup stuff. Is like a local estate right. sales. That seems, I would think, just logically, that yeah, you wouldn't find too many estate sales that have comic books. Well, you do, and I will say the last real estate sale I went to. Now, my problem around here is everybody, I, I guess, estate sale has a little cachet to it. So everybody calls whether it's a yard sale or a downsizing or a moving sale. They call them estate right. sales now. Where my interpretation of an estate sale is where, um, you know, the owner has died or something like that, and they're selling the estate. Yeah, I would think that's by definition what it would be. Yeah, well, they've gotten loose on it and all that. But the last true one I went to, they had a bunch of old school comics in there, uh, and they had them just for 20 bucks each. And I went through and found about four or five that were uh, a little bit more than 20 bucks each, and I was quite happy. Now, somebody got in there but in, ahead of me and got the obvious ones that were shown on the website, like some New Gods one and uh, Forever People one. So that was right. I think that was kind of around the time. It wasn't too long after the Justice League movie, so everybody was holding the whole New Gods dark side things. So those, I mean, those were good deals for 20 bucks, but... um. He failed to dig through and get the Jimmy Olsons. And ah. the Jimmy Olsons that he that they left sitting there were worth way more than the New Gods and the Forever People that he picked up because the Jimmy Olsons have the first appearance of Dark Side, the first, second, and third appearance of the Dark Side. Nice. Very nice. So 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 I got those and actually I got one of them off to the CGC. Very good. But again, it you know it has to come with, you know, knowing what you're looking for. So, which speaking of which, how do you know what to look for? Do you remember like issue numbers, or do you kind of go by the artwork on the cover when you're like digging? It's kind of both, really. I mean, or if are looking for bat, if you're talking about Batman Detective Comics, yes, I've got specific issue numbers in mind. But I also know the covers. Yes, I look for anything that's you know, uh, Jock or Blake Vogel or Kelly Jones. What about Apero? Apero as well. But he didn't do as many covers as some of the other. Infantino. Infantino. Yeah, if I see some of that, I'd, I'd have to look. It's I have to. I'm not as familiar with his artwork, so I kind of have to do a double take on that. But oh yeah, Bravogol, Aparo, and Jock especially. Yeah, their artwork will stand out immediately when I'm looking through. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of do both. What happens to me, though, is what I'll be flipping through stuff, and I'll pull something out, and I'm like, ooh, I know this cover. I'm supposed to pay attention to this cover. Why am I supposed to pay attention to this cover? Right. <laughs> and then it's like, if it's a dollar book, yeah, I'll buy it. Because I know I'm supposed to be looking for this. I don't know why. I'll buy it for a dollar. But then if it's like a 10 or $15 book is when I'm sitting there going, hmm, why is it I want this again? Why was I? Why is this peak my curiosity? Don't know. Talking about that. 
I saw a guy at C2E2. This guy was phenomenal. He flipped through an entire long box in about 45 seconds. And he didn't miss any. I mean, he looked at every comic. He was just, I was like, how are you seeing even what's coming by? But I guess he's so adept at it. Yeah, my problem is there's some stuff I look for where it depends on the uh, UPC. Right. Like I I collect the DC Universe variants. From the from the early '90s, and the thing is, you can't see that just flipping up. You almost you have to almost have to pick the book up so you can look at the bottom bottom quarter yeah, of it. Or it's a box where there's enough gap in it to where you can you know you can flip and see about the whole cover. You know what? And that that brings me back to I don't know if we mentioned it on the last episode, but there was a few booths, and I guess booths are expensive at C2E2, right? Yes. And but there even you, you notice there were some where it was almost like a quarter. Or an eighth of a booth, you know, like they had almost like the size of a closet. So I guess they were kind of sharing it with some bunch of people to split the cost up. And I went to the Sarah, there's like two or three of those like that. And they had some boxes in there, old gritty stuff that, you know, came out of an, you know, that's been in some, I, I don't know, back room or something like that, where there could be some, and it's mostly full of junk, but there could be some good like diamonds in the rough in there. But the problem is they have it packed so tight. There's no way to look at any of the books. Yes. I don't know why people can't understand that you have to leave, I don't know, about four to five inches of space so somebody can properly look at your books. I, it's unfathomable. I don't know why they don't do that. I will walk away sometimes. In fact, and you know something that's even worse? I saw this at the little con I went back in February. They had a couple of vendors who had their books stored in or sitting on all the long boxes sitting on not tables but racks kind of like storage racks like you put stuff out in your garage and mm-hmm. okay the space between the top of the box and the bottom of the shelf above it was like four inches so you can't look at this box at all unless you pull the whole damn long box out yeah i know like, i mean the hell are it's, you it's thinking it, about and well it's convenience to set up but they don't realize you know, if you're selling something, you got to make it convenient for your potential customers to find something they want to buy. And now the, the vendor, he goes, hey, just tell me what you're looking for, and I can see if I can find it for you. And I tried to explain to him, you don't understand. I don't like to do that. I want to just flip through and look at it. I don't want you to go. Because, yeah, if you find something on a Batman 457 second print newsstand, yeah, I'm not going to pick that up for just the uh, 50 cents you have it labeled. You're going to. I don't know. I just I don't like that at all. Well, usually if I'm doing that, I just ask if they have any 457s. And it's like, oh, yeah, here's one like that. And I go, then is it the error version? And whatever they tell me, once I realize it's not the second print or whatever, I just let them look and all that. And it's like, oh, yeah, I've already got that one. I'm looking for the non-error version. Or if it's non-error, oh, I'm looking for the error version. Yeah. All right, thanks anyway. Go. I mean, I hate to, hate to do that to them and everything. But, yeah, it's like you got to make it easy to go through the, the long boxes. And like you said, if it's set up properly, you can do like now. It might take me a little longer than forty-five seconds. I can, but you know, I can kind of. And it depends if it's if it's truly random, or if it's kind of clustered. You know, you get a little run of four or five issues of this, and a little run of four or five issues of that. You can end up going through a long box pretty quickly. But right, uh, you know, I don't mind random as much as if you just you give me enough space in the box so I can flip through yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's basically all you need is just enough room to. But a lot of a lot of vendors, I guess, to do as few long boxes as possible. But they're not doing themselves a, any service. They're not selling anything. You know what I end up doing? I end up taking like the first like twenty or thirty books. I'll pull them out, kind of flip through them, and I'll set them to the side. Then I'll go through a box if I'm if I'm feeling generous. Right. There was one vendor there yesterday. He was selling nothing but slabbed comics, all CGC slabbed. Oh. I wonder how that was going for him. I didn't see, uh, I was the only person there when I was looking at it. And I didn't see anybody else walking up to him, but and he had no prices on on them, so you had to add. Ooh, that's even worse because he's eBay. He look, he's looking at the current price yeah. on eBay or something. So, I mean, I don't mind certain slabbed books. I guess. Um, I don't know. I kind of. I'm kind of. I can see both sides of it. It's like I go to a show. And I'm looking for deals, right? But again, why would somebody sell me something that what they could sell it for eBay on? It's more of the convenience for them. It's like, 
you know, unless it's cash and you can pay cash and maybe you can get a discount for that. But, you know, if you can sell it on eBay, why would you knock the price down for somebody local or in person? I don't know. Other than the fact that eBay is getting less and less friendly for sellers as far as the little fees they tack on. Yeah, I get. I guess it depends. It's like, like I'm using eBay right now because uh, I'm just trying to sell off a bunch of stuff in my collection that, um, you know, I just don't need anymore. I read it. I enjoyed it. But, you know, I don't want to keep it. And I want to send it off. So, you know, I've got stuff priced on there for like a dollar a book or 50 cents a book or, you know, or whatever. And I know I get some free listings and, you know, as long as I can sell it for that, which is better than what I could get trading into an LCS for like a nickel or a dime a piece. You know, I get 50 cents for a dollar. I'm happy. They pay for shipping. Hey, everybody's all happy. So, like, I'm not making a living out of it. And I'm not trying to make a, you know, a, a major right. profit on it. So, but that's. You know, that's always tricky. It's like I was looking out on eBay just today. I was looking for 11 rockets, oddly enough. See if I could find those two missing issues. Yeah, how much is that bugging you? You have two issues you need. More than it should, actually. <laughs> I sent an email off to Eric today to say, look, yeah. this is what I'm missing. Uh, if you don't mind, keep an eye out for them for me. And if you find yeah. clean copies, yeah. you don't even have to ask me. If they're I trust you. If you're good, clean copies, just send me an invoice and I'll take them. I'll have to see on that. But yeah, it, yeah. It, it wouldn't be so bad if I was still missing 10 or 12 or 15 issues. You think, okay, well, I got time. But yeah, two, now you just like, you just, you're right on the cusp of having all that. Well, you see, that's, see, that's the thing for you. It's like, you didn't ever have this long, John. Like, I've been like trying to get my X-Men run for, I don't know how many years now. Probably over a decade. Probably a decade and a half. I've probably been trying to get my X-Men run for 15 years. So I'm down to like, I don't know, I think I'm down to like 50 issues I need. 50, 55 issues, right? So it's not like I can just go out and do it, but, you know, get two or three here and there and everything like that. See, you just got yours all in one fell swoop, and all you like is two. I know, I know. I got no right to complain, and I'm not complaining, but, uh, yeah. Well, nothing to complain about, but it's kind of like, yeah, that just adds more to it. It's like, Crap, I decide I'm going to do this. Boom, there it all is. Nah, crap, all I need is two. So it's almost an added pressure just to get it done because, you know, you're not going to wait. You're not going to wait like 15 years to get those final two no, issues, are you? No, of course not. I know. It's just, it's, I still cannot believe that whole thing. To find that many copies of that, you know, that many issues all in one place is just phenomenal. I didn't even ask Eric, I should have, where he, where he got those, how he acquired those. Because I bet he got them. Uh, this little this little old lady turned in her collection uh, that her son had bought. However many I years ago, I bet it's ago. something something along those lines. He probably got them from one person. You know, because you know, you always hear these stories about, yeah, my mom threw out my comic collection. Yeah, but you know what? There's somebody always at the end of that, especially if they sold it to somebody. Yeah, my mom sold my comic collection. Yeah, but somebody's really happy. Hey, this some old woman brought in this like comic collection. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I got to get, anyway, what's my, oh, what gets me is these sellers that want, that have no concept of trying to get you, trying to send you stuff on low shipping. Cause I saw this a collection that they had of this guy was, had about eight or nine different Love and Rockets books. I have most of them, so I don't, I don't plan on it. But he had this, they had them listed out there for $50, $26 shipping. Like, look, you nitwit, mm-hmm. nobody's wanting to pay half of what the, what the thing's worth in shipping. Well, I know what they're doing is they're 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 bringing down the price to get you to look at it, and they're going to make up the discount they're giving you on the shipping because there's no way they're going to spend twenty six dollars to ship it. I to wouldn't you. think so. I mean, I'll straight up say on my eBay listings and all that, I'm doing like media mail or you know something else like that, and it's calculated straight up because that you know I will say that's one nice thing about eBay on there is it's like it'll take your you can put in there the shipping method and it'll calculate it on, you know, where you live versus where I'm at here in St. Louis. So you know how much the shipping is going to be. And I just go in there and I print it off for exactly what the shipping is going to be. And they pay for it, whether it's $3 and 50 cents or $6 and 50 cents or $7 and 67 cents. So yeah, that's, that bugs me too. You see that on there where the shipping is actually more than the book or half the price of the lot. And they're just trying to, they got you in there at that price. They're just going to make up, the difference 
in the shipping cost. Well, not for me, they're not, because I won't do that. No, I'm not. No, I might do that if it, somebody was going to well, send me a Batman 457 second print newsstand for ten dollars and wanted to start me twenty dollars shipping. I'll I'll bite that bullet. And do that. Hey, I think there are a couple on eBay. There always are. Really? I think there's one. Well, there used to be not. There used to really not be. I think that one that had the uh, ink mark through the UPC codes not on there anymore. Interesting. I wonder if he sold it or finally uh, gave up. I don't know. Yeah, there's one on there now for $2,250 and 9.0. And there's one that's unslabbed for 1000 bucks. Damn. I mean, I keep watching them just because I'm interested. Well, I've also been watching this set of Superman 1 through 10 for like the past year. The guy has it for ninety five grand on there. Um, I'm kind of like, dude, why don't you sell it on Heritage instead of every month relisting it on eBay for ninety five grand? Because I don't know how many people are are going to spend ninety five grand on eBay. No, not for something sight unseen. You don't have any other than what the little eBay protections are. But yeah, no, it needs to be going through Heritage, but. Again, he's trying to get out on the cheap. He doesn't want to have to pay Heritage, you know, their fee. So he's trying to, you know, be greedy about it. And it buys them in the end. Well, eBay's going to charge it. Well, you know what? Actually, I will say eBay's fee is capped. I just know he would be paying more in fees to Heritage than he would be to eBay. And I guarantee that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to be cheap about it, but it's biting him in the butt because he's this goes unlisted, unsold, and relisted month after month after month. But, so... Yep. Anyway. So what else? Oh, what else, what else, what else, what else? Um, hmm. I don't know. I'm still trying to... Well, I guess it's been like a couple of weeks. I'm still trying to like sort through all my stuff from <laughs> C2E2. I didn't realize you had that well, much. Well, it just gets into the all my other stuff. Like tonight, I bought a lot of... I got a lot of 10 books of... Uh, Swamp Thing from issue 2 to issue 13 with a couple of gaps in there, but it's all Bernie Wrightson art covers. So I'm like, hell yeah. Yes. And, oh, and I bought a lot that was advertised as Roy Rogers and other Western comics. So it's got some Lassie and it's got some Roy Rogers and some other photo covers of some Dell um, Western books and a few Tarzan mixed in. But that's not why I bought it. I bought it because underneath all of that were back from the original Dell run Turok number three, four, and five from the early nice. 60s. So those are the books I'm after. So I'm probably going to be listing up some uh, Roy Roger and Lone Ranger comics here soon because all I want is those three, you know, those Dell Turoks three, four, and five. <laughs> Which I didn't realize. I did not realize that the. I don't know. This, see, this is where it confuses me with Dells, early Dells, and maybe this is something I got to dig into. So I'll, I saw the Turoks on there. I'm like, hmm, how early are these issues? And you can only see like one upper corner or so right. of each one. So I kind of had to had to look at the covers to figure it out. Dells don't have uh, issue numbers on them, right? You kind of have to figure it out from some kind of database or whatever. So I eventually figured out which issues they are. But they said to see. Like for Turok one and two, you have to see four color funnies or four color periodicals or something. So they were something different, and then at issue three they became Turok under Dell. I don't know the whole Dell stuff from the fifties and the sixties and the early sixties is confusing to me. Yeah, I don't begin to understand but, that. Um, you know, I saw Martin. You know, C two E two got that first Solar band and they had of the Dell one. I've Really been wanting to get one of those, but I got a I got a low grade Magnus, and actually I've been getting a bunch of the Magnus from that from that era. The painted I love the Dell painted covers. I don't you know those 50s. I don't care what the subject is. All oh, those you know if it's a western or a space or whatever, those painted covers were awesome. And that would be some great original art to get as those Dell. Uh, yeah. Painted covers. So, but I've I've been wanting a Turok also. And I saw the Turok 3, 4, and 5, and it's like, nope, can't pass that up. So. The only problem, it looks like whoever bought the comics back in the day wrote their names on the front. And 
in the ballpoint pen and cursive. Very nice. Of course, that was nobody was thinking about collecting back but, those days. Nobody. I mean, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? <laughs> Which you saying that reminds me, there was one vendor I saw yesterday who had he had all of his boxes lined up and he had uh, bags with a comic book in it taped to the front. Uh, ostensibly to show the example of what's in that book. Like, okay, there's an X-Men. There must be X-Men in this box. Well, there was one he had that had an old gold key solar man in the atom. I don't, know, I don't remember what issue, and it was kind of ratted mm-hmm. out. So I started looking through that. I thought, well, hey, maybe something in here Dennis might be looking for. I went to that whole box. There wasn't another. Not only was there not another solar man in the atom, there wasn't another gold key book in that box. I'm like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> Yeah, so so what is the gold? Was so is Dell gold key or was it Dell? Then they split into gold key, and at some point they were like, uh, was it Westinghouse? Westinghouse well, was the owned them for a long. That's who they owned them when Shooter. Yeah, some, some somehow remember somehow it got split. So you know, Dell got some stuff, and then some stuff went to somebody else. Western Publishing, right? I'm not sure. And it still it still amazes me that they were like the only comic book company exempt from the uh, Comic Code Authority because everything was so wholesome and good with them. Gold Key Comics was was created in 1962 when its parent company, Western Publishing, switched to in-house publishing rather than packaging content for branding and distribution by its business partner Dell. Oh, okay, so Dell and Gold Key split in '62. You know, that, and that is about the time when you got the Magnus, the Solar, and the Turok and all that. Ooh, oh, maybe that's why it went from four color to whatever it was. Yeah, so, but Western Publishing retained the ownership rights, because I know that's who Shooter got bought the license, got licensed from when he got the characters, was Western Publishing. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know what I haven't done in a while? I haven't gone on to the, uh, uh, Sal- not Salvation Army, um, Crap. I can't even think of the name right now. I've been drinking a little whiskey, too, while we've been talking. Um, Goodwill. I haven't been on any of the Goodwill sites lately to kind of see what kind of comics are being offered. Now, that is a rabbit hole. I bet you can find some Love and Rockets at the Goodwill. may not be in a great shape, but there you go. But yeah, yeah, it says here in this Wikipedia article. Adele was another one. Dell and Gold Key were one of the two American publishing comics Never to never to display the Comics Code Authority seal. Interesting, because nope. it was good wholesome comic books. Well, I think they were putting out all the Mickey Mouse and the Donald Duck and all, you know. So they had all that, and it's like the House of Mouse can't be, you know, de- degenerating our youth. And then you had all the wholesome TV shows like Tarzan and Roy Rogers and I forget what else. But you know what? Did they were doing Ripley's Believe It or Not? And I want to remember all those Ripley's usually had either aliens or ghost stories or something with them on there. That was usually on the covers and all that. So that was kind of starting to step into that yeah. horror realm a little bit. But those still didn't have Comic Code Authority on them. Hmm. So, so, so how do you think our our hobby is doing? I, you know, I was reading an interesting article this week. It was. Um, I think they were talking about oh, who were they interviewing with? That he was talking also about like one of the new comic book movies coming out. I might have been you know Captain Marvel, even though it's been out for a few weeks now. But he was also commenting about the grim state of the comic industry, and like there's only really fifty thousand people in the U.S. buying comics, right? And they're trying to milk as much money off those fifty thousand people by doing all the variant covers and everything. I, I haven't done my, any research, but that sounds... Well, I don't know. If you sit there and you look at numbers and it says they're only 50... I mean, you've got like your Batmans and such that sell close to the 100,000 or the 90,000 or the 80,000. But if you look at most of your titles, they're, you know, 50,000, 40,000, 30,000, 10,000, 7,000 in the, in, in the monthly sales. So, is it really out of the realm of possibility that there's only 50,000 people in the country that are actually buying comics? I, no, I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, it's not a very big industry at all. I think, if I remember correctly, 2016 or 2017 was the first year that comic books generated a gross 
profits of gross sales of a billion dollars. Now, a billion dollars sounds like a hell of a lot of money, but not when you compare it to, you know, how many billions that Starbucks makes or Barnes and Noble booksellers or any of those kinds of things. You know, those talk about multiple mm-hmm. well, billion dollars. So it's not, you know, a huge industry, but I, I tend to reject outright extremes in both directions. So people say that, oh, yeah, the comic book industry is dying and we're just on its last legs. Um, I think that's probably exaggerated. And there are other people who think, say, it's never been better. Oh, it was um, Jerry Conway. And it was about the Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, and all that. So the grim state of comics industry today and how he feels about Netflix canceling its Punisher TV series. I think he did. Yeah, he co-created the Punisher. So it was a Business Insider article. On I don't it. know. It seems to go in cycles within the comic book industry. It seems like there's certain decades that are just absolutely phenomenal and others that just sort of limp along. Well, no storms kicked out. Kicked yes. Out. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. Well, I think they, I think they, uh, they blew on by and we're good. Like I said, we got a good, uh, internet structure, uh, infrastructure here. So yeah, another episode of best of the rest. If you'd like to tweet, us at the show at BOTR Comics, or you can tweet me directly at Jay Forgets. And I'm at Oot Inger, and I've actually been paying more attention on Twitter, even though I haven't been tweeting. I haven't had anything worth tweeting about. All right, so with that, we are out.